Thank you for joining us this morning, folks. It is Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh. And before we get started today, we do have uh, something a little on the um, uh, sad side to discuss. We lost a very important member of our team uh, on January 4th, uh, this past Tuesday. Um, my dog, Nala, she passed away from hemangiosarcoma, which is an aggressive blood vessel cancer that she was diagnosed with in September and uh, it finally came and um, unfortunately she didn't make it so uh, rest in peace to Nala she was the best dog I've ever had my biggest companion since I moved down to Florida in 2015 she's been with me in every single place I lived in Florida and um, we're gonna miss her a lot so before we get started here with what we're gonna jump into we're going to do a moment of silence. We're going to raise a glass and do a toast, and uh, then we'll kick things off here. So if you guys will just join us here for a moment of silence, and we'll get started. All right, I'm going to go ahead and raise my glass. Cheers to Nala, the best dog there ever was. There'll never be another, and we're going to miss you, baby. I did go ahead and start a GoFundMe page just to cover surgical expenses. If anyone feels uh, compelled to do so, please don't feel obligated, but it is out there. I'll drop the link in the summary of this episode that we will cover uh, today. And like I said, uh, all the condolences have been appreciated from all my friends and family. And we're going to go ahead and move into a little brighter note on what Chase and I will be covering today. We have moved past the Spider-Man stuff. That was an amazing uh, standalone film that we got to cover. Then the rankings, that was a lot of fun to do to kind of kick the year off. And now today we're going to kind of track back to a, a production we covered in Season 1 of Factor Fantasy, uh, The Witcher. We are going to be covering The Witcher today. And it's only, it's only fitting, right? Because that's actually one of the first uh, productions that we covered here on the show. And today would be the closest to our two-year anniversary, just on the way the calendar lies. We started Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy on January 5th, 2020. We are now on January 8th, I'm sorry, January 9th, 2022. So it has been uh, two years since we began this show, and it's, uh, it's done a lot better than we could have expected in a short amount of time. And so we got to take it back to the beginnings with one of the things we covered before. We're getting into Season 2 of The Witcher today. I'm really excited to start to break that down, how it's going to go. We're going to kind of do one episode per podcast episode because we were going through the notes, and I'll let Chase kind of talk about it a little bit too. It just There was just so much detail, so much foreshadowing, so much dialogue that's important that if we tried to do multiple episodes in one podcast episode, we'd be looking at our season one numbers of four hours an episode. And so uh, you know, we, we decided to cut it back. We're going to take our time, go through it right, and we're going to cover one episode at a time. We're going to cover, talk a little bit about some of the monsters that you see in each episode. We're going to do some debates like we always do at the end, our final takeaways of each episode as well. And that's a little bit about how the breakdown is going to go. And with that being said, before I go ahead and jump in and start giving that recap of episode one, I want to let Chase you know, take over and say a few words and uh, we'll get going. Yeah, uh, man, this one uh, really takes me back. Just first a few words, um, Nala really was like one of the the best dog really besides my own I had years ago that already passed away that I've ever met but just wanted to give my condolences to her we know she would want to wish nothing but the best from the show she was literally part of the team that drives this show here I know y'all have seen her before with <clears throat> Josh and I's post Josh had a post with her when he was posting his wand and Patronus last year and we know you guys love that um you know, I'll put the GoFundMe on our on our uh, online website, which is ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. Um, but really, just thank you guys, and uh, we are excited for this to be a full year, full circle, man. So, toss your coin to your Witcher, oh Valley of Plenty. <laughs> yeah. So I know we didn't say it last time. We wanted to leave you guys hanging a little bit uh, for what was about to start driving us on what a bang this is about to be uh this ride and it's only gonna get better from here we won't tell you what's coming after this run but uh i mean we love the one shots we've even gotten some great reviews on the one shots and you know we're both big we both love spider-man 
But, uh, you know, the series is really where we get into the nitty gritty and the detail of Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy, which is why we're here today. Got a badass episode planned. Let me say, Malice in the Chalice, good sir. Malice in the Chalice, brother. Let's do what we do, baby. Let's do it. And I'm going to send it off to Jay Nelly. He's going to kick us off today. This is what we do. You got it, man. Cheers. Cheers, brother. All right. To kind of get us started on Witcher Season 2, Episode 1, first thing I kind of noticed is it really opens with a merchant family, and they're entering this village on a snowy night, and they're looking for an inn to stay. But the village seems abandoned. And it gets a little creepy, and you can know there's no lights on, no dogs barking, no movement at all, and it's, like, it's getting kind of dark. And then you hear this thing come down, and you have to assume like a creature attacks the cart and we see uh, the wife laying down there bloody and then the husband gets attacked and then there is a little uh, like sequence of the daughter coming out trying to look for their, her mom and dad and, and then uh, it attacks the daughter last and then the title sequence kind of takes over from there. And so after the title sequence, the next scene opens up with like the aftermath of the Battle of Sodden. If you guys remember back in season one, Yennefer had to like Basically, pull you know. Just, I know we haven't covered this, and we probably won't cover this. But if you ever watched uh, Dragon Ball Z, when Majin Vegeta had to summon all of his energy to, to explode himself to kill or try his best to kill Majin Buu, kind of seemed a little like that to me. Like she opened up the the chaos floodgates and and let the fire rain, and because of her, they were able to uh, be victorious in the Battle of Sodom. But anyways, Tissaia, if you guys remember who Tissaia was, she was the person who trained Yennefer. Uh, back in Eratusa back in season one and they have like this love-hate relationship you know I remember like when you were going through it to say it was thinking oh you might not even make it Yennefer you're just a little piglet like you're just like you know and but their relationship really grew <laughs> to a mentor and mentee relationship and now to say it like this is the closest person in the show to to say it and she's really upset because she can't find Yennefer so she's entering the minds of all the dead people and seeing what they saw in their final moments and looking to see if any of them had a glimpse of Yennefer that could help them find her possibly and we kind of get a little bit of a body count of everything that happened in the Battle of Sodden. There was 4,000 dead Temerian soldiers, 5,000 dead Cadwenians, and 20,000 Nilfgaardians. And the, if you guys remember, Nilfgaard was the bad one. They were the ones that were invading and trying to take over. So um, they lost the most. They had the most casualties. Uh, and then <clears throat> we have uh, Vilgefortz. He's, the, he's that guy mage there. He thinks Yennefer is just gone completely. And... Tissaia, she's not really accepting it quite yet. She's still calling out for Yennefer. And then we also hear a familiar man's voice echoing Tissaia's call for Yennefer. And the smoke clears. And that's our boy Geralt of Rivia with Cirilla on his horse. His horse name is Roach. Making their way through the carnage of the Battle of Sodden. And Cirilla, you show, we obviously from last season, she has some sort of powers that she's still developing. And we see that, she, and she tells us that she's seen the battlefield before in like her dreams. And so it's kind of like a little bit of a foreshadow there too of what she's able to do. Now Geralt asks Tissaia if Yennefer is still alive, and Tissaia just says they won because of Yennefer because she bought them time until the other's armies arrived. And Cirilla wants to know who Yennefer is, and Geralt tells her it doesn't matter because she's gone now. So they kind of go off, and Geralt and Cirilla set up camp. And I, 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 I thought in my head that she looked a lot different than season one. And I, what I did, I didn't know if it was like an actress change or not, and so I, I did some research, and it's the same actress, but if you guys don't notice this, go back and take a look at season one, and go look at season two. They do something a little bit different with the appearance of her. In season one, they bleached her eyebrows blonde to match her hair, where in this season, they decided not to do that. I'm not sure why, uh, but she has you know, brunette eyebrows in, <laughs> in season two, so she looks a lot different. Uh, but anyways, I just wanted to like, kind of point that out there. But Cirilla has nightmares about the Black Knight kidnapping her while Sintra was being burned. And Geralt tells Cirilla about how he got her with the Law of Surprise. And you know, she asks if she could be taken to Skellig. But he talks her out of it because he would, she would be married off. And so that way someone in Skellig could claim the Sintra throne. Now, uh, Triss... This is the, do you, remember, you guys remember Triss? She was the one uh, that they had to fight the what's it called uh it was back in season one they had to fight that thing for six hours at night uh i just don't remember the name of what it was called um 
It Man. wasn't the Striga, was it? It was the Striga. Yeah, that's exactly the, the one it was. Yes. Okay. Usually I'm the worst on names, too. So I'm sitting there <laughs> thinking of that, and I'm like, I, I might have gotten this one, but yeah, yeah go for it. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. Yes, it was a Striga, and she was like the, the mage of uh, that, that town there. And if you guys remember, she got like attacked during this battle, and so uh, she's having like a seizure, and it takes Tissaia, Vilgefortz, and Artorias to stabilize her with magic. And those are three of the most powerful mages in like the the brotherhood so it kind of tells you the kind of damage Triss has taken but uh, Tissaia tells Vilgefortz that there's no sign of Yennefer and that she is lost for good then Vilgefortz and Tissaia tell Artorias that his niece Fringilla was at the front coordinating the Nilfgaard attack and that she has abandoned all rules of chaos to which he replies that Fringilla is also lost then and uh, we learn that the kings of the other lands they want to chase Nilfgaard south and try to like kind of put an end to everything because they're so they're upset about the kind of damage this was caused. It's just one of these guys tries to like this country tries to invade all the other ones and take over. Like the kings want to chase them south, but we don't know if that's going to happen just yet. So uh, they took a prisoner, and from what they know, he only answers to the Nilfgaard emperor himself, and that he was the one that coordinated the fall of Sintra. And we're going to figure out who that prisoner is in just a little bit. But Tissaia tells him that she can get all the information from the prisoner if she gets time with him. To which Artoria actually applies, was like, hey, we've got rules. And Vilgefort steps in, he's like, well, she's not asking permission. Like, we're gonna get, we're gonna do this. So then the scene actually does cut to Yennefer, and we figure out she's actually still alive. Yay. But she uh, is Fringilla's prisoner. So Fringilla has her, like, in uh, chains that do not allow her to use magic. And we, in that, just like, that moment there, it cut the scene, then again cuts over to Geralt and Cirilla, and they're traveling to K Morin, or I'm sorry, K Morin, which we learn is where the witchers go during the winter to rest up and heal and replace their armor and elixirs. And we also learn that the witchers keep the place kind of secret because there was an attack there when Geralt was a boy, and it almost wiped out all of the witchers in their entirety. And that's actually going to come into a big play, not this episode, but next episode, uh, you know, how this place is supposed to be secret and not be given out to anybody, and we're going to learn a little bit about that. So we also learn that Cirilla can somewhat tell the future with hazy dreams, and they have this uh, this part where Roach, Geralt's horse, starts kind of getting a little antsy. And I thought this was kind of cool. He calms his horse with like a pinky motion sign that he calls Axie, and it really does kind of just totally calm down his horse, Roach. But the reason why he was getting a little bit of uh, antsy, they they cut into this dead deer. And Geralt smells it and even tastes a piece of its flesh and tells Cirilla that they need to keep moving. So he understands something's going on here and, and where they're at. So they actually approach the village from the beginning of the episode and see that there are no guards, no barking dogs, and decide to not enter, but to go see one of Geralt's old friends that lives just outside the village. And then what I said here is like a creature that kind of looks like Beast from Beauty and the Beast jumps on Geralt and he flips the beast over, about to stab it and kill it with his dagger, and the creature calls out Geralt's name, and that's when Geralt realizes that the creature is his friend, Nivellin, that he was going to see. So we learn that Nivellin can do magic, and we see him start the fire with a wave of his hands, conjure a bathtub out of thin air from the ceiling, so he's got some abilities. Now, like, you know, it, it's uh, unclear just from the show as of this point is if he was uh, able to do magic before he was turned into this beast, or if it's abilities that came after he became a monster, but we'll kind of learn about it a little bit. And anyways, you know, we also see that there's another creature lurking in the ceiling as Cirilla is you know, kind of finishing up in her bath, but Cirilla doesn't see it, and only we see it because the screen kind of pans to the corner of the ceiling, and it, it's kind of creepy. But anyway, she arrives to the dining hall fully dressed in an outfit that kind of really does befit a princess, and we hear about the story of how Nivellin and Geralt met. So Nivellin's father actually hired Geralt to clear the woods of a wyvern infestation. And Nivellin wanted to prove himself to his father by killing a wyvern before Geralt, but he fell into the beast's lair and Geralt actually had to save him. And then Geralt gave the wyvern's head to Nivellin and told him to tell his father that Nivellin was the one who killed it. So it was a pretty, you could see like a little bit of uh, Geralt's character. He's a good guy. <laughs> but then we get a little story about how Nivellin was cursed. Only part of it though. We don't get the full story till the end of the episode. But we learned how Nivellin was cursed. He got high on gold flesh mushrooms and trashed the temple of the lion-headed spider. And after the damage was done, a priestess cursed Nivellin to live in the form of a beast forever and alone. 
And we also hear that Nivlin, he tells us himself that he tried to kill himself a few, a few times, but he kept coming back alive and it never, never worked. So Geralt asks him why the village deserted their homes. And Nivlin tells him that the wild hunt was riding over the horizon. He says that he saw them himself just last week riding their skeletal horses across the southern sky, which is a portent of doom. And Srilla asks if it was the wraiths of Morhog, because her grandfather saw them just before Sintra fell. And so we're really hoping that this is going to come into play later, because those things just sound badass, <laughs> just off of the name and loan. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to kind of getting more into that later on, maybe in the coming seasons. But anyways, Nivellin thinks it's all potentially a sign of the end of days, and Geralt kind of laughs it off and says he's lived through a whole dark age and three supposed end of days, and it's all been horse shit. <laughs> but Nivellin tells him something has changed, and the world's acting of its own strange accord these days. And Nivellin tells him that now that he, because he, there's some movement, and Geralt's like, what else is here? And Nivellin tells him, well, we've got a cat called Verena, which is the creature that was watching Srilla in the bathtub. But something's not right, because Nivellin said himself that he was cursed to live alone. So Geralt goes outside to kind of secure the property and take a look around and kind of figure some stuff out. Then, the scene cuts to the prisoner that the mages took, and it's Kahir. If you guys remember who Kahir is, he was the kind of the guy that led the, the battle against uh, Sintra, and he was the one that, he fought Vilgefortz at the Battle of Sodden and really defeated him pretty easily. Vilgefortz kept having to like re-summon his sword to his, his hilt until he couldn't anymore, and the magic was getting too much for him, and so th this guy's a pretty badass warrior here, and, and they have him prisoner, and Tissay enters the room, and Kahir tells her to do what she wishes, because the white flame will cleanse them all. And we'll learn more about the white flame coming in the future episodes as well. But then, Tissaya touched Kahir, and he screams in agony, and she says that she needs to know what Nilf Nilfgaard wants. She tells him that it's not in her nature to be cruel, but that they took someone from her that she cares deeply about. So now she will take his knowledge, his memories, his very being, and leave him cold and helpless, trapped in the internal darkness of his own mind. I thought that was pretty crazy. What a hell of a line that was. <laughs> anyway, she grabs the sides of his head and begins her interrogation of his mind while he wordlessly screams in agony. Now the scene cuts back to Yennefer, and they're around a campfire. Like I said, she's Fringilla's prisoner at this point. And Fringilla has Yennefer in what's called uh, dimertium chains which block magic so that way she can't use any of her powers that she has but that you know, we're gonna find a little bit about that next episode as well too with her powers so Yennefer realizes that Fringilla is on the run and that they won but Fringilla tells Yennefer that she only won a battle and that the war has just begun and here I did do a little bit of dialogue back and forth I, I wanted to I think this was really important to detail exactly the conversation between Fringilla and Yennefer here at this point Fringilla says Sodden was merely a raindrop before the storm. Yennefer replies, Look at you. Why are you doing this? Fragilla says, Because I'm loyal to my kingdom. Yennefer tells her, No, your precious leader's after something. You're a pawn to get it. I can't imagine. What's his name? Emir? My humble apologies. The mighty white flame himself. I can't imagine he'll be too happy to see you return, tail between your legs. You know I won't turn. You also know the Brotherhood won't negotiate. Fringilla replies, well, They won't want you back. You've broken their sacred law. You've tapped into fire magic. Yennefer tells her, I did add to say his behest. I'll be lauded for saving them. Fringilla says, I'm sure they'll be most understanding. All leaders are. Yennefer replies, You're offering me up as a sacrifice. A bloody mea culpa for fucking up Nilfgaard's great push north. Then the scene cuts back to Nivellin, and he's shown Cirilla like a little shadow art play, what's called like the Fall of Elders. I thought that was kind of cool. It almost kind of reminded me of one of those spinny jukebox things that you turn the thing on it, it does a little chime and a, a dance around. Um, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. But as she's playing with that, Cirilla tells Nivellin that he reminds her of Mausak, which was her mage back in Sintra. And she asks what it's like to be alone because of what he is. And he tells her that what eats him alive is a loneliest. loneliness. And Srilla asks him if he's tried to cure himself. And he says that he's tried to kiss a few ladies to see if the old fairy, fairy tales were true, but to no avail. And Srilla tells him that maybe he hasn't found the right one. Because Nausak told her a story of a hedgehog man that was cured by true love. And what's really cool about that, I don't even know if Srilla knows this, but that hedgehog man is actually her own father. And that was kind of 
explained in season one where the whole law of surprise came into play where he was able to get uh, the like Cirillo's mother's hand in marriage even though uh <laughs> what's her name uh the, the queen of Centra at the time she was not for it but then they had the whole brawl in the in the throne room and we fi- they figured it out but um i thought that was pretty cool there so that was a little bit of a uh full circle moment for for her own father and i don't even think she knows it but anyways uh Nivlin says this really cool line here and i think it's it's really important to state he says monsters are born of deeds done and we're going to learn a little bit more about the deed that Nivellin has done to be a monster, become a monster. Now Geralt finds tracks in the snow outside of this castle. And he realizes, again, something's not right. So what he does, he invites Nivellin to play a drinking game where each time they miss a dagger, they drink and tell the truth. Well, Geralt is losing this, this game. Because what Nivellin did, he summoned daggers from the ceiling of his own magic. And they're using these daggers. And that's actually kind of important for later on. So Nivellin, uh, he asks about how he came to be Cirilla's protector and how he plans to keep her alive and who caused him to change. And Nivellin says, how are you not heartbroken? And Geralt says, who says I'm not? Because that's a little bit about what he's been telling him. Those are the three truths that he asks him about. You know, and he tells him about, like, you know, Yennefer and, you know, the law of surprise and, you know, how he's going to protect her and all that good stuff. So I thought that was pretty cool. And the crazy part is, is that if you remember from season one, one of the uh, superstitions about witchers are that they're emotionless creatures. They don't have, they don't feel human emotion. Where like when I were seeing that, that might not be true. Maybe that's just a tale they tell people, or maybe Geralt's a special witcher. We don't really know yet, but we're starting to see that this is something to keep an eye on. Anyways, is like the emotionality of at least Geralt here, maybe witchers in their entirety. We'll see. But a scene cuts back to Yennefer and Fringilla. And Yennefer tells Fringilla to join them, and she'll tell her brotherhood that she saved her and she can redeem herself. And Fringilla asks her what she would need to be redeemed from. That Nilfgaard didn't venture north to conquer, but to liberate. And so we're going to see, you know, both sides of the coin here. Like, why each person thinks that they're right, or each side thinks that they're in the right. And then from there, the scene cuts back to Nivellin and Geralt. And we learn that witchers obtain children so that they can feed them with magic herbs. And the few that survive become witchers themselves. And all human feeling and reactions are trained out of them. They are turned into monsters to kill other monsters. But Geralt tells him that that will not happen to Cirilla. Maybe we'll see, maybe we won't. Who knows? Anyways, at this point, because Geralt's been losing this game the whole time, he goes into his boot and throws his own knife out of it and hits a target straight on right between the eyes. And we find out that Nivellin was cheating and those magic knives he dropped from the ceiling were making Geralt miss and causing Nivellin to hit the target every time. And Geralt asks him what he's hiding and Nivellin deflects and goes to bed, doesn't even answer it, even though that was the game. So now we're back in Cirilla's room, and this cre- that creepy creature emerges from a hole in the ceiling and crawls on the ceiling towards Cirilla. And I said in my notes here that I thought it was kind of reminiscent of the of the ring girl coming out of the TV, and <laughs> like like how she looked with yeah. the, the the black hair in front of her face, and just real creepy. But uh, she ends up. I put the Exorcist. It's <laughs> like holy shit, dude! What the fuck is that? Yeah, good call. Sorry, not to. Interrupt. Oh, dude, you're good, man. It was it was really really creepy. And to Cirilla's point here, like to her credit, I should say, she doesn't even get freaked out. Like she, she like, like she kind of looks up and she gets taken aback, but she doesn't scream. She doesn't like, you know, try to attack it or anything. Uh, this creature starts speaking to her. She says, "I'm Verena." A friend of Nivellin. You were having a nightmare. I came to check on you. And what's kind of cool here is we see that Verena, she has the ability to not only speak through her mouth, but also to speak through her mind into Cirilla's mind. And that's an interesting ability. So now we have a little conversation about humans and monsters and how either side can look at the other as the bad side. And I thought this was kind of weird. Verena kisses Cirilla's hand and it causes Cirilla to fall back (laughs) asleep. And she wants her presence to be a secret. So Geralt goes down to the village and sees the bodies of the family that we saw in the opening scene of the episode before the title sequence. And all he says is, it flies. Then Geralt goes to Cirillo's room and says, roaches by the gate. If anyone other than me leaves this place, ride for your life. Cirillo asks, what's happening? And Geralt tells her, there is a Bruxa in the house. 
he drinks one of his potions and Cirilla grabs him and asks what he's doing and he turns around and his eyes are that super pitch black and like the veiny things underneath him and he tells her to move now. So Cirilla goes to the horse and Geralt makes his way upstairs sword in hand. And Verena is laying on Nivellen and it looks like she was eating the side of his neck and we'll learn a little bit about what was actually happening there in just a bit here. But Geralt charges in and Verena screeches and that power of the supersonic screech throws Geralt against the far side of the wall. And Verena has two layers of top and bottom teeth when she showed them. And it was really creepy. It really was. <laughs> then uh, Geralt thrusts a spear through the... I'm sorry. Yeah, Geralt thrusts a spear through the ceiling. And it hits Verena. And she falls through the ceiling on top of him. He uses this quick magic spark thing with his fingers. And she it basically throws her through the window. So the fight continues outside. And Verena tries to plead with Cirilla that she can't help herself if Scylla runs and she doesn't want to hurt Cirilla. Then we see Verena, the Bruxa, transform into this bat-looking creature and flies off and comes back around for a sneak attack. And I thought this was one of the coolest action parts of the whole sequence because we see this really cool moment where Geralt turns his shoulder to the side but puts his sword back through underneath his shoulder with the point up so that way the thing trying to attack him from the back, it doesn't even see the point of the sword cut through its body uh, on there. I thought that was really, really interesting and a great like battle sequence. And so it cuts Farina, and now it, it, she falls to the ground and back into the regular girl form that she was in. Cirilla goes to cover her, and then Farina jumps up and holds Cirilla hostage. Then out of nowhere, Nivellen spears Farina through the back, protruding from her front. So stabbed her through the back with a spear, out to the front and Rena then gets really creepy and pulls herself backwards with her hands and throwing herself further and further through the spear it was very reminiscent of a scene in a show that might come into play later on Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy uh, when one of the orcs uh, got stabbed through and that guy pulled the, the sword through I'm not going to mention the scene or, or what there but it was very reminiscent of that as she backwardsly grabs the spear and, and keeps walking through it and then turns her head unnaturally 180 degrees staring at Nivellen while she moves towards him saying mine or nobody's and Rena, tell, Rena says I love you love you and is about to bite him but then Geralt cuts off her head and before she bursts into flames her decapitated head locks eyes with Cirilla and she uses the mind speak ability and tells Cirilla he'll come for you too then she catches fire and burns to ash. After the Vrina the Bruxa died, Nivellen's curse was lifted and he's back to a regular man again, but he's not happy. And we learn that he found Verena in the woods, injured and starving, and that Verena wasn't scared of the monster that he was, and when she healed, she chose to stay. And what I told you we were going to figure out a little bit later, but it's coming to pass right now. We learn about how when she was laying on topping of him and it looks like it, she was biting his neck, what he was doing is he let her feed on him to control her cravings. And Geralt tells him, Love and blood, they both possess a mighty power. And Nivellen said he turned a blind eye to what Verena was doing to the villagers, which means he lied about seeing the race of Morag, I think. We'll see if that, maybe he did, maybe he didn't lie, but we're going to kind of figure that out hopefully in the coming seasons of the show. But uh, we learned that not only did Nivellen trash the temple, but his greatest crime was that he raped the priestess. And Nivellen tells Geralt, I beg you, use your sword. End this for me. And Geralt replies, You're mortal now. Do it yourself. And Geralt's potion wears off, and he kind of chastises Cirilla for not listening to him. And Cirilla gets down on herself and thinks that everywhere she goes, people die. She says she feels like she could burn the whole world and it makes her feel afraid all the time. And Geralt replies to her, Hey, fear is an illness. If you catch it and you leave it untreated, it can consume you. And Srilla asks him, How do you treat it? And Geralt replies, You face it. Facing your fear is not easy. But I am here for you. I won't let anything happen to you. And then the scene cuts back to Fringilla and Yennefer. And something attacks and kills the remaining Nilfgaardians. Like... They, they, they all start disappearing one at a time, like getting killed. Like things are flying out, weapons are attacking them, and we're not seeing anything in this in this scene outside of the the weapons going flashing in and out of the camera pan. And 
it turns out like everyone around Fringilla and Yennefer is is killed. So the, out of the whole group there that was returning to Nilfgaard, only two are left, and they are Fringilla and Yennefer, and that ends the episode. And that was the end of episode one of season two of The Witcher. And so, Chase, was there anything that I didn't cover that you wanted to add into it before we kind of give our takeaways on the show and talk about the monsters and get into our debates? No, I thought I thought you nailed it, man. Um, that was pretty much, I mean, one just a couple of things. Like when they were playing the knife game. Uh, by the way, the guy that this actually is is our good friend Tormund <laughs> from Game of Thrones is Nephilim. And I thought that was really cool. Um, when they were playing the knife game, remember they were throwing knives at his father's head, <laughs> which I thought was awesome. Um, and then just one... I'm not, I didn't want to put a, like a lot of dialogue or anything in here, but this was uh, a conversation when Siri was first talking to Verena. It kind of almost makes you feel bad for Verena in a way because Siri says, Monsters, yes, kills them. It, talking about Geralt, are you a monster? And Verena said, Are you a monster because you are different? And Siri said, Well, monsters do things bad, do bad things to people. And Verena said, but humans do bad things to everybody. So that's something that really resonated with me because it makes you think, like, wow, instantly you're like, fuck, this bitch looks like the ring girl. She gotta fucking die. <laughs> but, like, it's it makes you almost, like, feel bad for Verena in a way because it brings up a conversation, which I'm gonna bring up in one of my debates, like, and I, I don't agree. I think Tormund, <laughs> Tormund, Nevelum is the piece of shit here, really. But, like, how he's describing, you know, he found Verena in the woods and it was hurt. It had a choice where it could have just started feeding off Siri. Like, I really don't think... I mean, Siri, hopefully, based on what we'll talk about next week, I think she's going to start turning into somewhat of a badass at some point. But I don't think Siri would have been able to take on the Broxen alone. If the Broxen wanted to, she could have just started feeding off Siri there. But she tried. She chose not to. She put her to sleep. And, I mean, the hand kiss was weird, but whatever. <laughs> I'll get past it. Let it go. But, like, she could have killed her right there if she wanted to. So maybe there's something where she's not exactly... Maybe... You know, maybe she wasn't exactly evil, I would say. I wouldn't say she was exactly good either, but it just, that quote kind of resonated with me. But I think you hit the nail on the head. I thought it was insane when it collided with that blade <laughs> that uh, that Geralt had. And just last thing I'll say is props off to Henry Cavill, man. He plays Geralt down to the T. Like, his acting is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I think he was perfect for that role. But... Yeah, man. Uh, uh, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, the only thing I was going to say is just about my takeaways on the episode. Overall, I think it was a great way to begin this second season. It had a little bit of everything that you wanted. It had the uh, like a little subplot of this you know this monster at Nivellin's house. It brings in an old friend of Geralt's that we hadn't heard about before. We hear it, and again, you know, we've seen this time and again in season one, where someone becomes a monster based on, you know, being cursed. And that's what happened to Cirilla's father. And that's what happened here to Nivellin. But Nivellin was kind of more of a special case because he did something really bad, right? You know, he he raped a priestess at this sacred temple. And so she put this curse on him there. And, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, you know, the, the, like him in the monster form and exactly what led to the events of him becoming uh, that monster that he was himself. But what I really enjoyed about this episode is it had a great mix of detail also bringing things back around from season one after the battle of sodden you know we've got we're we're now we're again we're not on two different timelines or three different timelines i should say like we were in season one we're on one timeline but we're still following like three separate things right we're following the mages of the brotherhood we're following yennefer and fringilla and we're following Geralt and cirilla they you know we're following like it still does a great job of like keeping you on your toes making sure that you're not missing anything because at any point, anything can happen at either of these locations that is going to heavily affect the chain of events that go forward. And on top of that, too, it had enough action to satisfy me as well. 
you know, it wasn't one of those boring episodes where it's just all completely detail and you're like, oh man, I gotta write that down, gotta write that down. Like, it, right. it had those moments that are important that weren't necessary to be documented, but it had really cool, badass action scenes too. And so I, I really awesome. enjoyed it. I thought it was a great way to kick off season two of The Witcher. And yeah, man, I, I, I really am really impressed with how it went. Like, tell me about your takeaways with the episode. Yeah, one thing I do want to bring up, if you guys, uh, for any of our listeners, or, or if you're watching a clip on YouTube or something, if you need help understanding like where these people are traveling to, if you just go on Google Images is the easiest way, just type in the Witcher uh, map. All you got to do is type in map. I actually just screenshot on my phone, but it's really amazing because it's just like if we're looking at Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or, you know, like really big universes, even like Harry Potter and stuff, but not even really Harry Potter in that scale because you actually can see each of the cities they're going to. And it's amazing, like how far they're traveling and where they're going because Centra, I was telling Jane Elias today, it's there's a few different cities below it but it's almost like if you're looking at dragonstone in game of thrones like it's really towards the south of the country the country almost looks like in modern day terms if you're looking at a country of almost like the middle east that's what this area looks like but where they're actually heading to uh care how do i say it care morin came more heading to came morin yeah i know they made that stop with nevelin at the inn on the way but they're traveling a really long way so and same thing with yennefer and like where she's at and all this different stuff so if you go on google images that'll really help like explain where these people are in different areas because at some point down the line whether it's this season next season whenever you know i'm sure everyone's going to come in contact with each other at some point Unless they all die off, which that would really suck. That would be really Game of Thrones style. <laughs> but um, just for that, same thing. I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the whole idea of... I love how they brought in the Broxen and how they brought in Nevelyn's character. I remember when they first get there and see the end. It was very very spooky, really. Very Halloween-ish. Remember like, the shutter doors were... Uh, opening in and out and then also the you know the castle gate doors was like opening in and out almost like it was possessed or something right and one thing that was really cool was you had the statues there were no guards there so there were statues of these guards like all around and that kind of comes full circle a little bit when the curse is broken Um, but also the fact that we finally get to see Yennefer again like even Geralt thinks she's dead right now so that was a pretty awesome uh, you can't get rid of Yennefer. She's freaking awesome. Badass. We learn a lot about her in episode two, <laughs> really, next week that we cover. But overall, man, I thought it was a great start to the story. It wasn't like, um, you know, so many episodes that start seasons back are just almost like filler episodes. Like, they kind of put some action in there just because, uh, you know, they want to get people going with a Kickstarter but then there's all these de- this detail setting up a plot line, right? Um, they did this perfect because it, it's literally um, you pick up right where season one left off, and then you have this. It's really focusing on the journey right now. Like, yeah, we're getting into Yennefer, uh, but it's really focusing on the journey with Geralt and Cirilla at the moment. And now we're starting to get some bits and pieces of Yennefer. But it's it was perfect because not only are you finding out more about Geralt's past like this guy he mentioned Nevelum he said how long has it been 13 winters like it's just wild and he just thought of that out of his head he said I have I remember an old friend like almost like he didn't even want to go there but it's you're finding out these details about things and they're playing like roles for later on and uh it's just it was very creative and it almost had like a Halloween kind of vibe here so I thought I thought it was great I thought it was fantastic. I thought I didn't see very many plot holes. What about you, man? No, not to this point anyways. You know, again, it's just episode one, and there could be things that come up later on. But I think it's really important to note, notate, and I, I will say Chase kind of brought this to my attention first in terms of the actual, uh, how, how strongly uh, Henry Cavill feels about The Witcher. 
I actually saw something on my own uh, a little bit ago, and I thought it was kind of cool because it really shows, and the reason I bring it up, it really shows how accurate they're trying to portray this to the original novels of The Witcher. And so this season is supposed to kind of cover the events that occur in the novel uh, Blood of Elves. And mm-hmm. Chase was telling me, like, yeah, like, uh, from what I hear, Henry Cavill is like a huge Witcher fan. And, and you know, it's really kind of funny how, like, the algorithm works with, like, Instagram and social media. Whatever you look up kind of shows you relative things to it. And I was scrolling on my Instagram feed, and I saw that uh, there was a little quote from the actress that plays Cirilla, and she was stating that uh, uh, Henry Cavill is almost like an encyclopedia. He'll They'll be, like, working on scenes, and he'll say, hey – Let's use the quote from page 248 in Blood of Elves. And he'll just say it off the top of his head. Like, he knows what page it's on, where it's at, and, like, the scene productions and stuff. It's just, that's it, amazing. And so, I, why I wanted to notate that is because it's really great that he, they, they are really kind of putting an emphasis on, on accuracy and, like, following the storyline as closely as they can. And I think that's exactly why these episodes are an hour long each. And they are super detailed, but they're also exciting and keep you engaged, too. And... Like, you know, this is this is one of the biggest hits that Netflix has had in a, in a minute. And so I'm really, like, fantasy-wise anyways. And so I'm really excited to kind of see how it goes from here. So those are my overall takeaways of the episode. At this point, I want to go ahead and talk a little bit about, like, the monsters themselves. I'll let Chase start. He's going to tell you a little bit about the Bruxa. That's spelled B as in boy, R, U, X as in X-ray, A as in apple. So Bruxa is what it's called. And Chase is going to go ahead and take you through, you know, a little bit about them, what they are, their appearances like, what some of their abilities are like, and all that fun stuff. And then he'll turn it over to me, and I'll talk a little bit about the curse that was put on Nivellen and, and what all kind of went into that situation. And then we'll close up with some debates before we, uh, you know, close out for the day and focus on the next episode for episode two of The Witcher next week. So go ahead, man, uh, take it away with the Bruxa, and and uh, let's do this thing. Yeah, man. I just wanted to make a quick point uh, going off what you were saying about, you know, how great it is that they're really bringing in part of the book. Because just on a quick side note here, I think that's part of the big like, I mean, and Harry Potter was a big banger for us here. We know that. Right. But I think that's where the movies could have capitalized better on there. Like the books I absolutely loved. But I think if they had handled it just like Henry Cavill is handling The Witcher or say the first three seasons of Game of Thrones. <laughs> like, my point is, they're doing things that they're showing, right? Like, even to the point of, you can see, which we find out a lot more about Yennefer next episode, so not revealing anything, that you can even see in my visuals in the back. And this is a poster a poster right here just from the main series. She's got violet eyes. Like, things like that, they're showing they're not afraid to do. And I think that's why it's so successful is... Yes, the material there, which the writing is phenomenal, but so many directors are afraid to go off what, like, being true to the fantasy series. So I just thought it was good. But going off to the Bruxa, here we are, guys. Here we are. I know uh, now you've been missing uh, interesting facts with Chase and Josh, and uh, it's finally come full circle. Here we are. Here we are. Interesting facts with Chase and Josh for this section of the day. You've had to wait a really long time. But here we are, sir. <laughs> so, uh, but I thought this was cool about the Bruxa. So, believe it or not, this thing was badass to beat, but I don't think people understand, like, how fucking difficult it is to beat this thing. It actually describes it as one of the most difficult um, monsters that Geralt's ever faced in the book series. Um, and here's the reason why. And I guess the TV show could have gone a little bit more into it, but I like the way they did it. But... So, Bruxas are actually vampires. A lot. I didn't. I thought it looked kind of like a vampire, but I wasn't exactly sure. But it's different than normal vampires because normal vampires burn from sunlight. These do not, and they can attack you in the sunlight, which is insane. It says. So Bruxa specifically, though, uh, it says Bruxa is a very powerful type of vampire. It takes the appearance only of a dark-haired young woman. But the natural form is a black bat with sharp fangs and claws. It is one of the few vampire species that is not affected by the sun. So Bruxa, as it says, are agile, and this plays a big point into the episode we just saw, but the only weapon 
that is deadly effective to it is a silver sword. And what the hell did Geralt use? Badass, right? It says, yes, in, sh in close combat attacks, their sharp claws are detrimental, but their piercing scream is used for attacks farther away. Only, uh, it says, even, um, it says, there's, there is a spell called Quinn that is able to counter it, which makes me think maybe that's what, um, what Geralt was trying to do in the episode. But it says only Quinn can try to break that powerful cry. So I think that was that spell he was trying to do with his hand. Um, it says the Bruxa does have a habit in singing in the native vampire language especially after they drink blood which makes sense for when we saw her feeding on um on nebulum uh it says songs are usually very quiet but they have a shrill to it that can make it sickening to the ear bruxas can also manipulate and bend their way to humans by altering dreams and nightmares and with their telepathy which we saw her use um it does say uh Bruxas um Bruxas have also been seen to take the form of nymphs sometimes uh in the water but it's mainly just the the woman um and then it, it just says they can't control they have a very hard time controlling their bloodthirst but uh, it as far as alchemy goes though the alchemy that's used to try to destroy them uh it's called the abomination limp salts and bruxa blood is also used to counter it sometimes but i just thought like that's so that's very creative like that would suck <laughs> to have to go against that i wouldn't want to face that shit but just a little bit about the bruxa there so what about you and nevelin man yeah so nevelin <laughs> nevelin nevelin whatever <laughs> neville longbottom in a beast form so a little bit about like why he got involved with this gang in the first place. I thought this was pretty cool because this is something that doesn't go into a backstory, at least to this point. I'm not sure if it ever will in the series. But basically, uh, his father and grandfather before him, they made a fortune by leading a gang of highway and highwaymen and cutthroats that steal from the local people. But unfortunately, that caused his father to die in an encounter with uh, one of the people that he was trying to rob and ended up killing his father. So... Nivellin inherited command of the gang, and because he was so young at the time, uh, he kind of got caught up in it all and like kind of lost all feelings of remorse. And so he participated willingly in the gang's like deeds and things that they would go about and do. So one one of the days, like they were doing their you know miscreant nonsense, uh, they robbed the temple in Gallibol and they coerced Nivellin into raping the young priestess there. And before killing herself, the priestess spat in Nivellin's face and cursed him. Telling them that, telling him that he was a monster in a man's skin, and that now he would become a monster in a monster's skin. And she also mentioned a way to lift the curse, but Nivellin didn't understand that part. So, at the time, Nivellin didn't know who she was, but it turned out that this woman was a priestess of Coram Agtera, the lion-head spider cult, and her curse was not like a like a mini one; like it was a heavy curse, and that's why he tried to kill himself. He couldn't do so. Because that's how heavy this curse was bound to him. But, uh, anyways, like, he, he basically, that's part of, like, the whole magic thing is that his manor, like, the, the mansion that he lived in, it kind of portrayed his mood. So when he was, like, in an angry stupor, like, doors would slam and, and windows would, like, shake and shudder and, like, the whole place would go haywire. And, you know, he even killed his own people that, you know, worked from there and, Everyone that ever cared about and loved him like ran away from the area as well. So that's just a little bit about how the curse came to be. And like I said, the way that he looked and the way that it portrayed on the screen, he really did look like the Beast from Beauty and the Beast a little bit. And it was kind of cool because if you guys remember from Beauty and the Beast, the Beast was also cursed, but he was cursed for not being kind to a stranger who came across his doorstep and not giving her shelter from the storm. And uh, he you know, was kind of laughing at her hideous nature or how she looked and then she cursed him and like the whole sort of deal like how to find true love you know well Nivellin he found his true love in Verena and after like, he kind of 
had to kill her, the curse was lifted. So it, it had a lot of real close ties to the Beauty and the Beast story, and I thought that was kind of cool. But that's a little about Nivellen and the curse and, you know, what it kind of caused him to do and how some of the, the, the magic started and things that he was able to do on that end. So, um, yeah, man, I thought that was super cool. That's just a little bit about that. I guess we should jump into our debates now, and I'll let you kick us off. Yeah, man. Uh, so my first debate I do have for today is... So, I guess we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. Do you see... So, say if Geralt wasn't hired to kill these monsters, right? Say if they didn't even know Verena was a Bruxa, right? Do you see Verena as possibly having good intentions? I think intentions are probably good, but it's like I don't think she's able to control herself because she killed an entire village. <laughs> like, you right, know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I think that she wants to be good deep down, but she even said to Cirilla herself, like, hey, Cirilla, don't run because if you run, I don't have an option. I will chase you down and I will try to kill you because like, that's like the predator-prey mentality of what she is and so i don't think intentions have much to do with it as much as like the instinct of of what she is and how that you know it was always going to end badly for her because she can't control the instinctual impulses to kill and feed and as much as nivlin tried to help you know and it let her feed on him it still wasn't enough like it's still like so i don't know I think at the end of the day, it was always going to end badly for Verena or whoever Verena encountered just because of who she is. And it wasn't going to matter her intentions, good or otherwise, because she couldn't control her impulses. And that's what I think. What about you? Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think she, I think you proved it with that comment you just made about what she said. Um, Like, I don't think she intentionally wanted to hurt anybody, but you're right. Like, I mean, it's a vampire. (laughs) Like, what do vampires need to survive? Blood. Like, it's just something that's not going to (laughs) work. Like, it's it's like someone trying to keep, um, like, a wild gorilla or something as a pet in your house. Like, you can't do it. Like, it's just not going to happen, man. But, no, I have to agree with you 100%. Um, The last debate I do have is... Do you think Nevelyn was in the right to hide Vereen, Verena from Geralt? I think he... Yes and no. And it's, it's like a dual part, like a double-edged sword type of thing. And the reason I say that, because I know that as Ger- Geralt, as being a witcher, his whole like life's purpose is to kill and rid the world of monsters. So I could see why he wouldn't want to, because he would know Geralt wouldn't understand and would try to kill it. And so he wanted to keep it secret. But also, he wasn't in the right because when they played that game and he said they, they agreed to the terms of like talking about a truth, Nivellen didn't hold up his end of the bargain and tell Geralt about the other creature that lived there. And he also said, because remember in the very beginning of that episode too, it's not something I documented, it's something I remember off the top of my head. He asked if Cyril was going to be safe there and Nivellen told him yes. And clearly she really wasn't safe there. And so I think he... like. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. Being in the right is is a tough, you know, subjective to everyone's own thoughts and beliefs on it. But like I said, like it's a toss of a coin because I get why he didn't. I understand the motive behind not wanting to tell him, but also it was super irresponsible. And you saw because she almost did kill Cirilla, held her, held Cirilla at hostage at the very end, and and he himself had to kill. I'm talking about Nivel, and he himself had to kill uh, Verena the Bruxa. So, you know, it, was he in the right? It depends on which way you look at it, but there are more dangers to have not informed Geralt and told him about the situation than if but just by keeping it secret. That's my, my that's my opinion. What do you think? I think it. I think he could. I don't know. I don't think it was. I think to a point you can keep it secret, but not once he invited them to stay. I think what he should have done is he probably should have left it and said, well, I mean, I guess it depends on, like, how, if he wanted her there or not, which I'm assuming he did. But I think it was to a point of he probably should have told them, like, he was trying to be a good friend and help them out so they had a place to stay. 
However, he should have told Geralt, hey, this place, you can't stay here. Like, I would hate to do that, and Geralt probably wouldn't be happy about it, but he would probably get an idea. Just like even when they were at the table, remember when he was telling the story, and Geralt made a comment. He said, "All, but all the shrooms in the world wouldn't make someone that stupid. When he was calling him out on his... Um, calling him out, finding out about like the curse and everything, right? Uh, you could tell something was suspicious that was up. I feel like Geralt would have known something, and then it probably would have even been worth it to Geralt, um, unless he mentioned like, "Hey, there's a Brux in the house," because that's his fucking job. Like, <laughs> literally, like if you mention there's a Brux in the house, it's Geralt's gonna have to kill it. Like, there's no. Like, there's no negotiating there. It's almost like someone at work, right? Say someone in your job is told you they've been stealing money from the company. Well, at that point, like, you have to say something because then if it ever gets out that someone told you and you didn't tell anyone, you're going to have to fucking do it. Like, so I think it was to a point. I agree. I understand why he kept it secret. However, it's not right to the point of when you're putting someone's life in danger. So... That's my thoughts on that. One more thing before we close that debate out, because now you have me thinking, and I think almost to the opposite end now. I almost think that instead of telling Cyril and Geralt that they couldn't stay there, I think he should have tried to convince Farina to go away for the amount of time that Geralt and Cyril are staying. Like, hey, you're not safe here yourself. Like, this is a witcher. Their their job is to kill other monsters. So, like, go go off into the world and do what you need to do, and then come back when they leave. And I think that would have yeah. kind of solved everything because if she's not there to go there, like number one, they're not going to get attacked, right? You know, like Cyril is safe because Verena's not there. Geralt doesn't have to worry about killing a monster because it's not there. And Nivellon doesn't have to worry about his friend being killed because she went off. I think that was the way to go about it is convincing Verena to leave for the duration that Geralt and Cyril were going to stay. Because regardless, especially with Verena attacking the village, let's say he said he couldn't stay with them there, Geralt and Cyril probably would have tried to stay at the village somewhere and you know Verena attacks there as well you yeah, know what I mean exactly. so it's like I think the I think the play was to do his best to convince Verena to go off until they uh, completed their stay there with him so that's my thoughts before we close that debate up yeah no that's a really good thought that's that's I mean I think the tough part is getting Verena not to come back <laughs> if she like feeds on that blood but yeah no I think I think I think you're right, 100%. I think this is the first time I actually agreed on something with you both times. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yours, man. What debates you got? Yeah, I, ju- I just got... I have one debate on this one, and it's it's interesting. I don't think we have enough information to really answer it yet. But my the question is, we see that the Witchers, at least Geralt, has some level of magical ability. But, like, it's not the same type of magic or magical ability that mages have. So my question is, like, what what abilities magical abilities do witchers possess that and it doesn't make it dip like they, they aren't full mages and they can't do you know spells and real full things but they can do small ends like are they kind of similar to i don't know an underdeveloped mage or is that just part of like the powers that they learn and came more in or can they learn more magic or is this just something that they have limited abilities and they'll never become like full full-on able to do magic where mages that's like all they do is, is magic full-time and so like i guess like my debate is or the question i have at the very least is that what makes witcher's magic different than mage's magic i i don't truly know the answer but my opinion on it is i think it has a lot to do with the poison and the toxin that makes them witchers um because remember when witchers were created they were really just humans like Geralt's even talked about, you know, he was starved to the point of he was like a dog uh, kept in a cage, and then they, you know, they gave him the poison and turned him into a witcher because a witcher's job was literally just to protect the world from these monsters because of their strength and power um, and adaptability. And so I think it goes into, like, the poison they're given. Whereas, you know, mages, I think it has a lot to do with bloodline, um, which we go into a little bit of that in the next episode i think that's kind of the only way to really explain that more um but i think it has to do with bloodline whereas Geralt was really just like a like yeah he was probably like a you know whether he was like came in contact with the right people or whatever his connections were 
really just a born and normal man. Whereas I think mages, I think it has a lot to do with bloodline. Like we'll talk about next episode with some people. What do you think? I think that I think you're on the right track, and I'm just going to add a little bit to it and think that we learn at least from him talking about you know the process of becoming a witcher and how they're filled with like magical herbs. So I think you're right in saying that him starting out just as a regular human boy and being turned into a witcher, like the stuff that he had to ingest. And it can maybe kind of change some compositions of him and it allowed him some abilities past like, the normal full human would. But he's like, like, I think Bloodline is important here in realizing that mages, you know, they, they, are, they have it in them from the day they're born. It's not something that they are, you know, injected with over time. And I think that's the difference between witchers and mages is that witchers, they, they are trained to do a bunch of things and they are forced upon their potions and magical herbs. And I think with all of those toxins and all of the things that they're ingesting, you can see it when he takes that one potion, it turns his eyes black and the veins come out of it. And, you know, he has some other type of ability now as well. I think it's not more so him being able to do it than the stuff that he is given and has taken throughout his life has allowed him to be able to do certain things that beyond which a normal human can when it comes to magic. That's what I think. That's my opinion. Again, I don't know either. I don't think it's been explained enough to give it to us but that is my opinion on you know what makes it different is that he's not born with the ability like mages are to where mages they, they have the ability to do magic from you know the time they're born but they need to develop it and control it like we saw in Eratusa, you know that whole little school almost like the hogwarts of the witcher right and then over <laughs> where like witchers it's, again it's a lot to do with the stuff that they're given at a young age and the potions and the magical herbs and the training and and that it kind of like i said they do a little bit more than regular humans when it comes to the magic side of stuff, but they'll never be like capable of doing magic on command or anything like that. So that's what I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. That actually opened up my mind a little bit like because of the magical herbs and stuff. But I think that's what has a lot to do with it. So, I mean, maybe I don't know all the answers, but I think, I think we're definitely on the right track. I agree with you. Cool. Well, yeah, man, I guess that really kind of does wrap up everything that we have here on our end today. You know, uh, like this has been season two, episode one of The Witcher. I know next week we're going to cover episode two of season two of The Witcher. And we're going to kind of continue this going forward to the end of this season of, you know, season two of The Witcher in its entirety. Just because, like we said, this this alone this has already given us enough time to cover one podcast episode just by one. And this is just the very first one. You know, it gets deeper and deeper into detail. So next week we're going to do a lot of covering you know, on season two, episode two. And this one is super in depth because it brings a whole nother species in that I won't, you know, give away or anything like that. But it's just, there's so much to do that it has to be one episode or podcast episode. Because we also like to do the things at the end too with the facts about the monsters and the debates that we have going forward and where our final takeaways of each episode lie. And, you know, so that's a little bit of uh, a little, you know, foreshadow what we'll be doing here is we'll be covering that all the way through all eight episodes so you'll you will receive in total eight episodes of season two of the witcher from us and i'm excited to kind of give it to you i will say this guys uh, if you haven't done so already this is your very first time with us today welcome we're happy to have you if this is your 117th time with us with all the episodes that we've put out well we're happy that you've stuck around and thank you so much for being the shields that guard the realms of fantasy for all you new new guys out there that are listening for the first time, we are on all the social sites. So please give us a follow, click like, subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can also now rate shows on Spotify as well. So we are on all those locations. But to find us on social media, you can search at Official Ridiculous Patronus for Instagram, at Ridiculous Patronus for TikTok. We have our Facebook fan page, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We have our own website, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. We also have Twitter, RP Factor Fantasy, Snapchat, RP Factor Fantasy. We do have our secondary Instagram as well, at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. We also have a secondary TikTok as well, at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. And yeah, you guys, uh, you guys can follow us on all those. You know, going forward as well, talking about where you can find us. We are on all the platforms. Uh, we have our fantastic host site in Podbean. You can find us there. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, Amazon Music. 
uh, Acast, Stitcher, wherever you guys get your podcasts, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy are there. But we're out for the day because you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing off. off.